Welcome. It is very good to have you join us. My name is Pastor Roger Horning, and I am the lead pastor here at Foothills. And I just want to welcome you and say thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, this morning, our, this is Palm Sunday. You know, it's not very often that you wake up in the morning and you turn on the TV and news stations are actually explaining the topic of almost every sermon passage across the country and world. Uh, but that happened this morning. That was kind of a, an exciting thing. And so I, I am just so excited this morning to look at what it means on Palm Sunday to be a fan or a follower. And we know that Jesus is calling followers, um, not fans, and yet there are fans all over the place. And I think we see that in Palm Sunday. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking about this week is just how unevenly the coronavirus has been impacting people. Uh, I think about on a, on a business level, there are some businesses that right now are booming. Uh, especially all of the, the virtual meeting companies. Man, they, they have had just a massive influx, but there are actually a lot of businesses that are booming. There are other businesses that have closed down completely. There's other businesses that are really struggling to kind of make it through this period of time. It's not just businesses that are impacted unevenly. People have been impacted unevenly. There are some people that I've spoken to that basically their life has not changed. Everything is still kind of the same. On the other hand, there's people that um, they've had to make some adjustments, but they're doing okay. And then there are some people that are completely isolated. I was thinking about some of our senior saints in retirement communities. They're by themselves. And, and for many of them, they actually can't even leave their room. It's almost like being in prison, although it's not really being in prison. And I was just thinking about um, the isolation and, and just how that can be a real struggle for people. And so I've thought a lot about that. I've had some great conversations with people even in that situation that are encouraged, that are doing well, but that are sensing the loss of human connection. One of the things that I was thinking about also in relation to that is that when it comes to Jesus, um, the response to Jesus is not always the same. It is different for each person. And this morning, we're going to be talking about being a fan or being a follower. And that is a personal decision. It is a personal choice, but it is a very significant thing. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday and the call to discipleship or the call to follow Jesus. So Palm Sunday, uh, that starts the resurrection week, uh, the week of celebration, this Passion Week, which is so wonderful. And I want to start by just going back and considering um, the call to follow Jesus. So I'm going to read our passage this morning, and then we'll talk a little bit about Palm Sunday and how it connects with this passage. So let's, let's read Matthew chapter 8 verse 18 to 22, and this is really the main theme of our morning is in this passage, though we will look at some other passages. Let's look at this, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. You know, in this passage, it's kind of a, a surprising response that Jesus gives. He's been in his ministry, and we, we've, in chapter up to chapter 8 of Matthew, we've seen some amazing things about Jesus. First, we've seen that he was born into the right family. He had a miraculous birth, and he had this announcer, John the Baptist, to identify this is the Messiah, the King of Israel, who's come to save the world from their sins. And so Jesus is born into the right family, he has the right credentials, and then he's tested in Matthew chapter 4, he's tempted and found to have the proper character. And then we see his baptism, where Jesus is baptized. And when he's baptized, he has the testimony of the Holy Spirit descending on him as a dove. He has the testimony of God the Father, specifically saying, this is my son. And so Jesus is identified as this person in whom we should put our trust. In chapter 5 through 7, he teaches what it really means to have a relationship with God. And then in verse 8 and 9, we see all these miracles, and we see Jesus calling people to follow him and to describe discipleship. Now here's the issue when you think about Jesus's ministry. Uh, Jesus's ministry is not different. It didn't change. Um, although there were different sections, the main point of his ministry was the same. And one of the things that you see in this Passion Week um, from, um, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter is that the point of that week and actually many of the things that happen in that week are things that have been happening all along in Jesus's ministry. So let me just show you um, quickly um, something here. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting what we see in Jesus's ministry. Let me just put a slide up there. And basically Jesus ministered for about three and a half years. And we're gonna be looking at the very last section of his ministry. And so that, that slide kind of gives the timeline and what he was doing in these different locations. But I wanna consider specifically how Jesus builds to this day, Palm Sunday. Look at John chapter 11, verse 54. You can see these two verses and it talks about Jesus's movements in this last time, right before Palm Sunday. And you see that he's actually in, in his ministry on many occasions, he was avoiding the crowds. He was telling people, don't say who I am. Sometimes he was so surrounded by crowds, he had to go into wilderness areas. And so Jesus in his ministry on many occasions is avoiding crowds. But here we see that for Palm Sunday, Jesus actually um, does some things in a way to create this huge crowd that is following him. And so you'll notice um, on this map, and I'm sure that you can't see my pointer right now because, well, you're not in the room with me, but you see the, the, not the bottom circle, but the second circle up, it says that Jesus was in Ephraim. And, it, and one of the amazing things is it says that Jesus is going to leave for Jerusalem. Now, you'll notice that Jerusalem is just underneath 
um, Ephraim. And so Jesus is supposed to be going down to Jerusalem, but when he leaves for Jerusalem, he actually goes in the opposite direction. He goes up to Samaria, past Samaria. He go goes across between Samaria and Galilee, and then he comes back down. And one of the things that we see that Jesus is doing is he is actually moving along, and he's joining the crowds, and he's going to enter Jerusalem in this huge crowd. And today it is known as the triumphal entry. And so we're going to see that. Then on Thursday, one of the great things that happens in this week is that on Thursday, let me just actually show you a timeline. This is a summary of what happens in the Passion Week. So on Sunday, Jesus enters um, Jerusalem. It's the triumphal entry. On Monday, he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple and he takes possession of it. On Tuesday, Jesus continues to teach and interact with the religious leaders. On Wednesday, um, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. On Thursday, Jesus celebrates the Passover, which is the Last Supper and actually the beginning of the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And then he goes to Gethsemane. On Friday, he is betrayed, arrested, crucified, and buried. And on Sunday, Jesus raises from the dead. And so as we consider this, um, this is an important week. And as we consider this, we're going to consider what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because there were many crowds that were excited. There were many in the crowds that were excited about Jesus that were shouting Hosanna. And we'll read that section a little bit in a moment. But one of the things that you see is there are tons of people that are following Jesus. Jesus is popular. But Jesus isn't looking for popularity. He's looking for faithful followers. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Another way to ask that would be, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Or what does it mean to be a Christian? And when you think about Palm Sunday, we're going to see in a moment when we read Luke chapter, 11, chapter 19, we're going to see that there are masses of people that are following Jesus and they're pretty excited about what's going on, and rightly so. But one of the things that we notice here is that it's easy to be a fan. I mean, why not be a fan of Jesus? I've heard one man say that people will reject the Old Testament. People will reject, if you say that the Bible says something, people will reject that. But nobody would reject Jesus. And as you consider this whole idea of rejecting Jesus, why would you? You think about the story of Jesus and the woman at the well when he's speaking to her and he's reaching out to her and caring for her, or the woman caught in adultery, all the miracles that Jesus did, the way that Jesus taught love. He, he talked about prayer and he encouraged people that when you pray, I will hear you. God hears you and he cares for you. And you see that Jesus um, preached forgiveness, that God will forgive. Jesus loved sinners. One of the things that you see in his ministry is uh, sinners didn't run away from Jesus. They loved Jesus and they ran to him. The only people that you find in the New Testament and in the gospel accounts that seem to really hate Jesus intensely are the religious, self-righteous people. Now, who, who wouldn't love a person like Jesus? But one of the things that you find out is when we define Jesus ourselves, or if we consider who Jesus is from a distance, of course, people are running to Jesus and they love him as long as they define him for themselves. But when we get close to Jesus and we see the call that Jesus gives to discipleship, 
we see that for many, they do reject him. They don't receive him. In fact, Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount in the beginning of chapter 7, talking about a wide road that leads to destruction and many who are on it, including people who claim the name of Jesus. And he talks about a narrow road that leads to life and that there are only few who find it. And so this morning, that's what we're going to consider with Jesus' call to following him. So let's look first at the crowd, which certainly included many fans. On Palm Sunday, there was a crowd and it was full of fans. Now, there were not only fans in this crowd. Uh, There were genuine followers who saw the miracles of Jesus, who understood who he was, that were in that crowd, that were following Jesus, that were laying down their coats as Jesus rode into town. And so there were faithful followers in that crowd. But many in that crowd are shouting Hosanna, and by Friday they are shouting crucify him. And so this is something that we need to consider. What is the difference? How could some in that crowd make that change? Let's just talk for a moment about the significance of the triumphal entry. What is happening here? And if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke. And we are going to be going through, uh, I'm just going to read through and make a few observations from Luke chapter 19. But I've put up on the the screen right now um, just a harmony of this account. And in all the Gospels, there are certain things that only some Gospel writers refer to. There are other items that all of the Gospel writers refer to. And there are kind of some unique contributions that each Gospel writer makes. And so one of the things that we're going to see here is that as Jesus enters town, he is in complete control. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. You'll notice that they are similar and they have a lot of similar accounts. And the Gospel of John was written much later to kind of show like some some different elements. John writes and fills in some gaps. And one of the things that I notice about John's account is that John speaks a lot about people's motives. He speaks a lot about what is actually in the heart of, of a person. And we kind of see what's going on there with the contributions that John makes. And so in Luke chapter 19, verse 19, it just talks about Jesus coming um, toward Jerusalem. He's on his way in, and he tells his disciples, Jesus has this all planned out. He says to them, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And so he sends his disciples. He has this all planned out. Now it is interesting that he's riding on a colt. And and you might wonder, why is Jesus doing that? Jesus is going to ride into town. And Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfills prophecy by riding in on a colt. So Jesus, as he does this, he's going to ride in in the midst of a crowd. And this is a, a huge celebration. People are coming from everywhere into the nation into Jerusalem. And as Jesus comes in, he rides in on a coat and he's able to come in as a king, but a peaceful king. So he comes in without getting the attention of the Romans in the midst of the celebration and people rightly see Jesus as their Messiah. And so we see that happening. Um, 
as you continue down, it talks about people's response. On um, Luke chapter 19, verse 35, it says, And they brought it to Jesus, they brought this colt, and throwing their coats on the colt, they set it on Jesus, and as he, he, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now Matthew tells us that they were cutting branches. Mark tells us they were cutting leafy, leafy branches. But in the Gospel of John is the only place that we hear that they were taking branches from palm trees. And that is what we name the celebration today. It is Palm Sunday. That comes from the Gospel of John. And it goes on in verse 37, and it just says this. It says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen. In verse 38, it says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That is a quotation from Psalm 118. And so you see Jesus coming in. He is rightly recognized as the Messiah. And as he rides into town, we see that there are religious leaders that absolutely hate him. As Jesus comes into, his, into town, the disciples are excited. They're celebrating. They're overwhelmed that this is finally their day where Jesus is going to rule. The crowds are thinking Jesus is going to rule. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, they hate Jesus. They want to put him to death. And this is just driving them crazy. It's, it's completely against what they want to see happen. And you see that even Jesus' enemies try to tell him what to do. Now look, look at this in verse 39. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus responds and says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus will be praised. He will be recognized. And though some would not like to see that happen, that is what is going to happen. In Matthew 21, 15, it talks about the chief priests and the scribes seeing these wonderful things. And even children are, are crying out. And it just says that these Pharisees are just indignant at what's happening. And they say, Jesus, do you hear what's happening? And Jesus says, yes. And then he quotes Psalm 8, too, and just says, um, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. Now, this is the saddest thing, and it's one of the reasons that I um, chose Luke chapter 19 to consider on the triumphal entry. And this is what it says. Jesus is going to talk about Israel as much fanfare as there were, as many people were fans, as many were cheering and laying down their coats. This was not going to be the time that Israel received Jesus, that they welcomed him. This is going to be the time that Jesus is going to ultimately be rejected. And nobody knew that was going to happen yet, but that is what is happening here. Luke 19, verse 41 says, And when he knew, drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you even had known on this day the things that make for perfect peace. While Jesus had fans, these fans did not truly recognize who he was. And he says this, but now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children with you. 
and they will not leave one stone upon another. And here's the reason. Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that happens in 70 AD. And he says this, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So in all of this fanfare and, and, and the seeming recognition of who Jesus is, they failed to truly recognize who he was and welcome him as their Messiah. They end up crucifying him on Friday. Now, ultimately, we know that this fits into God's plan. That was God's intention. It was his way of saving the world. Jesus died so that the world could be forgiven and reconciled to himself. And there are some who truly recognized who Jesus was, but there were many who missed the whole point of this day. And this is the question that we're going to be asked. Are we fans or do we truly see who Jesus is? Are we truly following Jesus? So let's go back to the passage that we opened up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, and let's consider what is happening here. Because these same patterns happen throughout Jesus' ministry, and this is another example where Jesus has healed people, he's casted out demons. People cannot deny who Jesus is. They're seeing these amazing things happen, and they're following him, and there's this crowd. And then look what we see here in this passage. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And then two people are described. There's a, fair, there's a scribe who comes to him and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, he has nowhere to sleep. That birds and, birds and foxes have somewhere to live, but he has nowhere to lay his head. And another man that says, well, Jesus, I'll follow you, but actually I have something else to do first. Now, here's the interesting thing about this call to discipleship is that we are not specifically told how these two men respond. Now, have you ever wondered why we're not told how they respond? Well, here's, here's a point. And I think that the reason that we're not told how these individuals respond is because this story really is a question to the reader. This is a question to you. And how they respond is not significant. The question is, how will you respond to Jesus' call to follow him and his description of what this call is. You know, there are occasions where, the, where Jesus calls followers and their response is recorded. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and it says that they immediately left what they were doing and they followed him. Then you have this account uh, where there's no description of how people responded. And then in Matthew chapter 9, um, Jesus goes to James and John, and he says, follow me. And it says that they immediately left their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. And so that's the response of a true disciple, is to immediately leave everything and follow Jesus. And that's the question we have. There was also a rich young ruler. One of the things with these, as Jesus is calling followers, you see the response of his disciples, but then they're actually learning what it means to follow Jesus as Jesus makes the call to discipleship to others. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, there's this rich man who runs up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a similar question because following Jesus 
is how you have eternal life. And so this man comes and he says, well, what should I do? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he lists some of them. And he says, follow the commandments. And this man responds by saying, oh, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. And it's interesting because Jesus looks at this man and he loves him. Jesus' heart goes out to him. And he just says, okay, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure. Come follow me. And this man's response is interesting. It says that he goes away sad because he was a man who had many possessions. And one of the things that Jesus says in that situation is he just says, um, it is so hard for a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting because his, his disciples say, well, oh man, well then who could be saved? And then this is the verse that we all quote out of context, but Jesus says this, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. When Jesus talks about all things being possible for God, he's actually talking about salvation. And then it's interesting, Peter's response. So Peter's followed Jesus, he's left everything, and, and he watches this man, and you see this in verse 28 of, um, of Mark chapter 10. Um, Peter, after seeing this man reject Jesus and say, oh man, I can't follow you, I can't sacrifice my stuff, Peter's kind of going, oh Jesus, man, what, what about us? We've left everything. And you, you kind of wonder, is Peter starting to think, man, this guy's not willing to give up all his stuff. He, he left and man, we've sacrificed everything and, and we're following you. Uh, what, what's going to happen with us? What about us? And Jesus responds and he just says, following me gets you eternity and many, any, much more than you could ever give up. And so what, this is one of the things that we see here is that Jesus is calling people to follow him and this call to follow him is huge. It is, it is a heart issue where you say, Jesus, you can have my entire life, my entire heart. Let's look through uh, Matthew chapter 18 and just notice a few things. In Matthew 18, uh, 8, 18, it says that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go, other, to go to the other side. One of the things that you notice about Jesus is Jesus is in charge and he's giving orders. Part of following Jesus is recognizing that Jesus calls the shots. And we, we've already seen earlier that the Pharisees were trying to tell Jesus what to do. Um, and fans try to tell Jesus what to do. In John chapter 6, he talks about people's motivation for following Jesus. And in John 6, which is right after the feeding of the 5,000, it says that a large crowd was following, following Jesus because he saw the signs that they were doing. In verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again um, to a mountain by himself. So even people, sometimes these fans, when they see Jesus and they recognize who he is, they still decide, no, I'm in charge. Jesus, now is the time for you to be king. We will make you king. And we see that when, when, when people are fans, uh, they think they can call the shots. Uh, people who are fans, they're, 
They're looking for um, control. They're looking for self-gratification. In verse 26, Jesus talks about this massive crowd of people following him because of the feeding of the 5,000. And this is what he says. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. These people wanted what they could get from Jesus. John 6, 30. Um, so they, these people say to Jesus, Jesus, perform for us. Do signs for us. They say this, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? They call on Jesus, perform for us. Do a show for us. That's one of the things that you see with fans is they want to remain in control of their life. They kind of have this positive feeling toward Jesus, but Jesus is to perform for them. He's to do what they want him to do. And that's not how Jesus works. Jesus is God. He is in charge. And followers follow Jesus. They don't give him directions. Let's look at verse 19. And let's just examine and consider the scribe, the first one that comes to Jesus and says he'll follow him. It says, And the scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now the scribe, he's a scholarly man. Uh, he's, he's one of the educated leaders closely related to the Pharisees. And he identifies Jesus as the teacher. And that's a right, a right identification. I was uh, just remembering uh, when my kids were young, one of them was in third grade. And I remember they're, in their, they're sitting in their third grade class and we go to the teacher conference, and the teacher says, oh, I got to tell you about something that happened um, this, this recently in class. Um, I'm, I'm starting to teach the kids uh, multiplication and division. And so I put on the board, I put um, two times three is six. And, and I'm putting it on the board. I'm kind of explaining how multiplication works. And, and, one, and one of your kids just says, um, excuse me, uh, but number four on the board is wrong. And they just said it with such confidence. And the teacher just said, man, they, they just said it with such confidence. I kind of stopped and I looked over at the board and I'm going, okay, did I make a mistake? Where's, where, where was my mistake? And what's crazy is that our kids, they knew how math worked. And three plus two is five, it's not six. But this whole concept of multiplication was brand new to them. In many cases, we approach life and we approach Jesus in the same way and we think that it's our place to instruct him. We think we know how the world should work. Instead of recognizing, no, Jesus is the teacher. He explains life. He decides how things work. We take a step back. And what my kids should have been doing in that class is sitting back and saying, you are a math teacher. You have a college degree. I am in third grade. If I look at the board and I think something's wrong, it's probably not the teacher, it's probably me. And I think it's just crazy that in life, in many cases, we go through life and when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, we decide, God, you're wrong. Jesus, you're wrong. This shouldn't be happening. Let me teach you how life should work. Instead of taking a step back and just saying, no, Jesus, you are the great teacher. I'm here to learn from you. 
not to instruct you. That, that is a mentality that is completely different between a fan and a follower. A follower recognizes Jesus as the teacher. Now for this scribe, his circle hated Jesus. For him to say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, that was a massive statement of commitment. But Jesus points out to him, I don't think you understand what you're saying. And he follows this up by saying, foxes have holes and birds have nests. Even wild animals have a home. But the Son of Man has nowhere to, to lay his head. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 27. This is God's call. Jesus' call to follow him is a call of total commitment. Verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross. Now in our day, uh, the whole idea of bearing a cross, uh, we think of it as pain and suffering and difficulty. A cross was an instrument of death. That was Jesus saying, if you are not willing to be tortured and die for me. So that's what bearing a cross is. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it is total commitment. It doesn't matter who you are, where you were born, what you've done. You can be forgiven. The, the call to salvation is available to everybody. But it is a very specific call. It is a narrow road. It is a hard road. And there are a few who find it. And Jesus says, if you don't bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. And then he adds these words, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Now here's one of the things that I think is interesting. I think a lot of times as believers, like some may think this whole message is aimed and geared toward people who don't know Jesus and in one sense it is, but actually in another sense, it's not. This passage is for disciples. This conversation that Jesus has with these other followers that are saying, hey, I want to come in. This conversation is actually not just for them. It's for his disciples. It's for the people who have chosen to, for, to follow him. Jesus is reminding them of the decision that they made. For many of us as believers, we struggle with a lot of things in life. We struggle to have peace. We struggle with discontent and we're, and we're upset and, and, and we're, we struggle with so many things in life that are related to following Jesus. Do we remember actually the decision that we made when we saw who Jesus was and we decided to follow him? Are we like the third grader sitting in class thinking that they know more than the teacher. This is a reminder that we follow Jesus. And so he just says, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to die. You've got to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's Romans chapter 2, 12 verse 2. And then it, you'll see that, that he is recognizing, Jesus identifies himself as the son of man, and that he has no possessions. Let's look at the lesson from the second disciple that comes to Jesus. And another of the disciples said to him, this is verse 21, he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let me first. The emphasis here, and it's one of the things that you see in the other contrast when Jesus calls his disciples, he says, follow me, and they immediately follow. In this case, this disciple comes to Jesus and he says, um, Jesus, let me first. Uh, have any of us ever thought about that in our Christian life? And we're like, okay, Jesus, I'll be committed. I'll be dedicated. I'll follow you. But first, I want to get married. First, I want to finish school. I'll make you the priority of my life as soon as I get this other thing done first. And Jesus is saying, no, the call to follow Jesus is immediate. It is right now. You can't do anything first. You follow Jesus immediately. Now, this whole idea of, um, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. There's a couple things, a couple things that that could be emphasizing. And many people um, misunderstand and they think that his, his dad died and he wanted to go to the funeral. And so I just want to clarify, that is actually not the case. It's not like this, this man's father's died and he wants to go to his funeral. His father's still living. He's saying, no, I have a family loyalty. I, I need to be involved in my family business. So this is potentially just a family loyalty. First, I'm going to stay and I'm going to kind of be committed to my family. I'm going to be committed to my dad, to his business, to those things. It could be related to inheritance. I want to stay with my dad until he passes away. And after I get my inheritance, then I'll follow you. But the point is here that this man had conditions. Uh, verse Luke 14, 26, which comes right before the passage I read earlier. Luke 14, 26. Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Following Jesus is something that we do immediately. It's something that we do wholeheartedly. It is our complete dedication and devotion. That's actually what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus follows up with this and he just says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But you follow me. You be committed to me and my program. I got a question um, as we close this morning. Why would anybody make the decision to sacrifice everything and follow Jesus? And it really comes down to this. If we see Jesus for who he is, if we truly understand who he is, and if we understand our need, we will realize that we have a massive need. We are separated from God. We live life without wisdom. We don't know what's best. We need a teacher. We need a savior. We need someone who will reconcile us with God. And this loving Jesus, we want to follow because he cares for us, because he has what we desperately need. Following Jesus changes your eternal destiny. Following Jesus changes your life today. Following Jesus does not guarantee that everything will be rosy, but following Jesus means that ultimately everything will be okay. 
I think about Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in return for his soul? Here's one of the greatest things about following Jesus. Following Jesus is not about performance. It's not about doing all the right things. It's not about being good enough. It's not about never failing. One of the things that you see for the disciples, they wholeheartedly committed to follow Jesus, but they failed over and over. And every time they failed, they ran back to Jesus, and Jesus forgave them every time. Following Jesus is not about being good enough. Following Jesus is about having a heart for him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 talks about all the anxieties and the stresses that we have. And he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And in this passage, Jesus is just saying, don't worry about anything. I'm God. I love you. I will take care of you. And Matthew 6, 33 says this, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. When we follow Jesus, it's because we recognize him as God. We recognize him as the one who can solve our spiritual problems. We recognize him as the one who holds life in his hands. And if I had a choice of pursuing things in my life and trying to take care of myself or having Jesus take care of me, I choose to have Jesus take care of me. And he's just saying to me, you worry about my business and I'll worry about yours. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just want to thank you for your kindness, the way that you love us, for the clear call to follow you. Lord, there's a lot of folks who are positive towards you. And Lord, we know that you're not looking for people who are genuine, generally positive your call to discipleship is a call to follow. God, I pray that you would help each of us to make that decision, to think about who it is that we're following, the love and comfort that comes knowing that the God of the universe who controls everything in life is caring for us. God, I pray that you would help each person today to respond, to respond rightly to the call to follow you. In your name, amen.